You know, as crazy as the last week to 10 days have been, I started thinking about all of the things that we kind of start to miss. And I couldn't help but think about school. Now, my guess is very, 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 very few students right now are missing school per se. But then I started thinking about all the stuff that goes around school that you might be missing. And I thought about, I thought about basketball. When I was in school, especially in high school, and as I started thinking about missing basketball, it wasn't just the games that I thought about. The first thing that I thought about was actually practice. I thought about those afternoons of walking down the hallway where you go past the, the lunchroom and the the smell of the Frito pie gives way to the smell of the locker room and, and going into practice. And I remembered something that I think is really, really important for where you and I are in our world today as we're working through this whole coronavirus situation. I remember a drill that we used to run in practice. We had all kinds of drills. You had shooting drills, ball handling drills. But there was one in particular that I thought about. Our coach would break us up into groups of three. One guy would get the ball, and then there were two other guys that would play defense, and they would come up and trap the guy with the ball. And, and the goal of the drill was to get the ball handler to handle pressure, to be able to face the trap and not freak out. And this is what our coach used to tell us. He told us two things. He said, number one, when you get trapped, Pause for poise. Pause for poise. Just pick up the ball and don't freak out. The second thing that he told us was pivot away from pressure. So wherever the trap is, pivot away from that pressure. I started thinking about that. This is actually an incredible opportunity for you and for me to pause for poise. We all have to pause right now. I mean, our world is on lockdown. And yet, it's an incredible opportunity, especially as we head into Easter. I don't know if you're like I am, but man, Easter, as you know, is our Super Bowl. As followers of Christ, the, the fact of Jesus' resurrection is the reason that roots, that anchors our faith. And Easter's coming up. Easter is just a couple or three weeks away from this Sunday morning, March 29th. And as we approach Easter, as we approach Easter facing the reality that we probably will not be able to gather together in the worship center, we have an opportunity to pause for poise. And so over the next couple of weeks, as a church family online, we're going to go to the final days of Jesus's life. We're going to walk the road to Easter together and look at Jesus's final days for, for guidance as we prepare our hearts for Easter, but also as we learn how to live in the reality that we find ourselves in right now. One of the things that 
you see over and over and over again in the final days of Jesus's life is he was preparing his followers, his disciples. He was getting them ready. He knew what he was about to experience. He knew what he was about to go through, but he wanted their, his followers to be prepared for problems. He knew that his crucifixion would create very real problems for their faith. And so he did everything he could do to prepare them for those problems. And the example that he gives them is an incredible example for us to follow right here, right now, 2,000 years later. You see, God has never, ever, ever been surprised by a problem. Isn't that interesting? Think about all the problems that we face in the world. Forget Corona for just a second. Just the problems that we encounter on a regular basis. God has never been surprised by a single one of them. As a matter of fact, all of the stuff that we go through in this world is preparation for what he has already prepared for us. Remember the reality that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So if that's true, and it is, if that's true, then everything that happens in this world is an opportunity for God to work in your life, in my life, in us as a church family. This is what was going on in Jesus' life just before the crucifixion. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to look in John chapter number 16. It's really interesting as you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Each one of those accounts of Jesus's life takes a very different approach to the story of Easter, to the narrative of Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. John spends the most time of all four Gospels in detailing how Jesus prepared the disciples for the problem of his crucifixion. If you go to the book of John, the story of Easter, the narrative begins really in John chapter 12 and goes all the way through to the end of the book. But in John chapter 16, Jesus says something incredibly profound that I think you're going to find relates to where you and I are incredibly. It resonates so deeply. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. This is what Jesus said in verse 33. He says, now I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world, Jesus said. I want to encourage you before we take another step in this message together. Memorize John 16, 33. I want to encourage you to make that a part of the fiber of who you are. This is the Son of God speaking to your life, to my life. He says, now, I want you to have peace in Him, He said. 
I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Now in this world, you will have troubles. You will have sorrows. You will have pandemics. You will have fears. But, but, take heart. Some translations say, have courage. Do you know that the word courage comes from the French word for heart? To, to have heart means that you choose to be brave in the face of fear. Doesn't mean that you don't have fear, but it means that you choose courage. And he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. See, in Jesus's mind, the resurrection was a done deal. He hasn't even been through the crucifixion yet when he makes this statement. But he says, I've already overcome the world. He knew what he would go through on the cross. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But he knew that his resurrection was guaranteed because of the power of God. Because of the power of God. Jesus knew that he would, in fact, die on that Roman cross. He knew that Good Friday would be real. But he also knew that his resurrection would be real, that it was guaranteed in the power of God. And so I think for you and for me in this season of incredible uncertainty, so many people that I've talked to, that I've prayed with this past week, business owners, employees, people laid off, people struggling, people wondering, people freaked out just by watching the news. I think it's important for us to come back to the ultimate reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He walked on this earth. He was one of us. He died on a cross and he rose again from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. His tomb is empty in this moment. And that fact means that there is nothing beyond his authority and power. There is no part of your life or my life that is beyond the scope of the hope of Jesus. He says, I have already overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Back in John chapter 14, as this dialogue with the disciples was first beginning, he said something very, very similar to this. In John chapter 14, go back a couple of pages. John chapter 14, verses one through three. Jesus said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. That, that means it's a choice. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is saying again, this, this fact of resurrection is so big. It is, it is so important. Do not let your heart be troubled. Haven't I told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? That, that my father has plenty of room for you. If, if it weren't the truth, I wouldn't have told you that. So 
Again, understand that because Jesus rose from the dead, there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. There is nothing beyond the reach of the power and the peace and the presence of God. It is there for the taking. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Be aware, be on guard, be alert, but don't let your heart be troubled. And Jesus has given us here something to really remember. As we think about pausing for poise, Jesus is saying here, remember the reward. Remember the reward that awaits you. Remember the reward. You know, going back to, to when I played basketball in high school, I'll never forget. The thing that I remember the most from practice is not even pause for poise. The thing I remember most about practice was running at the end of practice. We used to run lines. If you've ever, if you've ever played basketball, you've probably run they could maybe called horses or suicides or upbacks or whatever, but you, you start on the baseline, you run to the free throw line, you run back to the baseline, you go to midcourt, you run back to the baseline, you go to the other free throw line, you come back to baseline, you go to the other baseline, you come back to the baseline, and then you get on the line and get ready to go again. We used to call them running horses or suicides. It was miserable. That's why I still don't like to run. But I remember something really important from those days. I was far from the most talented player on the team. Far. From the most, I, I was not. But man, when it came time to run, I, I could put out more effort than anybody. I wasn't going to be the fastest, but I could put out more effort. And I will never forget, Coach, at the end of practice, when we had run a few suicides, coming back, standing on the baseline, you know, gasping for air, and Coach walking out to the court, with a basketball in his hand, just kind of dribbling. And he'd go, who wants it? And we knew what he meant because we knew that somebody was going to get to shoot a free throw. And if we made the free throw, we'd go home. If we missed the free throw, we'd run again. And I always remember that because I remember always wanting to take that shot. One thing I could, I, I could shoot pretty well. I wasn't the fastest. I had basically zero hops but I could shoot the rock, baby. And so even after running horses and suicides, coach would go, who wants it? I would always raise my hand. I would love, I love going out to that free throw line, just whoo, gasping for air and dribbling three times. Because I love the reward of making that shot and letting everybody go home. Now, I didn't make it all the time, but I did make it about 90% of the time. That was the reward for all of the days I spent drilling, all of the times I spent at the free throw line shooting shot after shot after shot. Remember the reward. Here's the thing about rewards, especially right now as we're in the middle of this coronavirus craziness. Rewards and remembering the reward is what gets you through a tough time. We can all make changes because of negative motivations. I don't want to be unhealthy, or I don't want to miss the shot when it's time to take the shot. Those are the things that usually initiate change. But psychologists have found that to sustain change requires positive reinforcements. To remember this reward, 
Dr. Kelly McGonigal is a psychologist at Stanford University. And Dr. McGonigal has studied psychology of change. And she says there are three things to remember when you initiate a change, when you think about going through something, three things to remember to sustain that change. This is what she says. Number one, how will you benefit from this challenge? How will you benefit from this challenge? Number two, who else will benefit if you succeed? Who else will benefit because you sustain the change that you initiated? And then number three, know that it will get easier over time. Know that as hard as it is maybe in this moment to sustain a change, it won't always be this hard to sustain a change. Now, I use Dr. McGonigal because she's a clinical psychologist. Not because psychology proves the Bible, but because humanity is catching up to the truth and the reality of God. Jesus knew all along from the beginning of time immemorial that to remember the reward is how we sustain change. It's how we endure change or trials or tribulations. Remember the reward. But Jesus wasn't through with us. He continues back in John chapter 16. Look at what he said at the very beginning of John chapter 16. John 16 verses 1, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 5 through 7. John chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, now I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Again, he's telling us why he's telling us what he's telling us. I told you these things so you won't abandon your faith. Verse 5, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I am going to send you an advocate, somebody who is on your side. We know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But first of all, he says, don't, don't focus on the fact of the crucifixion. Don't focus on the fact that I'm not going to be here with you in person anymore. He said, focus on the fact that I will send you a helper. So first of all, he says, remember the reward. But second of all, he says, remember the one who remains. Remember, remember the one who remains. He did not leave us here alone. After he was crucified and raised from the dead and he was here for 40 more days, appearing to over 500 eyewitnesses, and he returned to heaven. It wasn't like Jesus went back to heaven and just kind of went, good luck, take care. He said, no, 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 no. I'm sending you the advocate. I'm sending you the counselor. I'm sending you the helper who is the Holy Spirit of God. And it is because of the Holy Spirit that you and I today are united, even though we're not in the same room together. We are united by our advocate. And it's imperative as we prepare for Easter 
It is imperative as we prepare for problems that we remember the one who remains. Remember the one who remains. Yes, we have a reward and we should always remember that. But remember who remains, who is still here with us. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, you know a couple of years ago, coming up on three years ago now, I released a book called The Trust Protocol that, that describes this relationship with God that we're created for and how it plays out in our relationships with each other. And as I've talked about the trust protocol here at home and, and around the country, one of the things that I've done is I've asked people, when you think about trust, most of us can remember a time that our trust has been broken, when, when maybe someone betrayed our trust. And it doesn't matter where I've gone, who I've talked to, where they're from or what they do. Whenever I ask people, raise your hand if you've ever been betrayed. Across the world, hands go up. It's unbelievable. It is a universal reality. Jesus himself was betrayed. He was betrayed by Peter, who just anecdotally on the side, he was betrayed by Peter upon whom he ultimately built the entire church. That's a whole other sermon. But one of the things that I've encouraged people to do that I learned to do was when you're betrayed, when your trust is broken, look at the ones who remain. Look at the people in your life who didn't violate your trust. Look at the people in your life who did not run Look at the people who remain. For me, that list begins and ends with my wife, Julie. For all of the stuff that Julie has put up with in me over the years of our marriage, I think one of the things that is most profound to me is that she remains. She, she stays. And she, is she beautiful? Yes. Is she brilliant? Yes. But much more than her beauty or her brilliance is the fact that she remains, that she stays consistent, just that she stays. And that's one of the great blessings of our marriage. And as great as that is, it pales in comparison to the fact that the Holy Spirit of God remains with us. He remains. No matter what's going on around us, He remains. When Jesus said these words, take heart, do not lose heart, I will remain with you and I will send the advocate to be with you. The disciples, probably being good Jewish men, would have gone back in their memory banks to their Jewish vacation Bible school that they went to probably, maybe. And, and they probably would have thought back to the story of Joshua when he took over leadership of the nation of Israel for God from Moses. 
This is what God said to Joseph. He said, I'm sorry, to Joshua. He said, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What was true for Joshua 1,500 years before Jesus walked on the earth is true for you and me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is there right now available to you. He's available to me. And so in Him, we can take courage. In the Holy Spirit of God who is here with us, we are united by the one who remains. I love going through this narrative of Jesus' life. In John chapter 14, while this conversation is going on, Jesus has an exchange with Thomas. Thomas, who after Jesus' resurrection, still doubted. I love that the Bible includes people who doubt. But before that, in John chapter 14, Jesus said this to all of them, and then Thomas interrupted him. Jesus said, now you know the way to where I am going. Verse 4, this is verse 5. And Thomas said, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then in John 14, 6, Jesus said this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. Now, from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus is the way. You want to, you want to be prepared for problems? Jesus is the way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he is there for the taking. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know how you're responding to Corona or COVID-19. But I do know that Jesus is the way. He's the way to be prepared for this problem. He's the way to be prepared for every problem. From beginning to the middle to the end. Particularly the problem of sin. I've got the problem of sin. You have the problem of sin. And the reason that Jesus came to earth, the reason that he did in fact go to the cross and that he was in fact raised from the dead is because of the problem of sin. And so, in this moment, we just want to, as a church family, invite you. If you've never chosen to make Jesus the answer to the problem of sin in your life, why not right now? Why not right now, wherever you're watching, however you're joining in this experience, 
take that step. Choose to trust Jesus more than you trust yourself. Choose to accept him as the way, the way through the problem of sin, the way, the truth, the reality, and the life. That's who he is. I want to ask you just to bow your heads with me in this moment. Just wherever you're watching, however you're connecting. If you're watching this and you've never chosen to follow Jesus, then we invite you to pray silently, just right where you are. Just talking to God from your heart to his. Just say, Jesus, I choose to believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. I confess my sin to you. I know that I have this problem. And I'm trusting you to be the solution to that problem. I believe that you died on the cross in my place. I choose to believe that you rose from the dead. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, we as a church family want you to know this is the greatest moment of your life. And it's really important. It's important that you know this is just the beginning. We want to help with what's next. I want to ask you to do something. If you would, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to go to our Lake Hills Church app. And on that app, you'll find a place there that's connect. If you just hit connect on the Lake Hills Church app, it'll take you to a thing called the connect card. We usually do it in our service, but we've got it virtually now on our app. If you just please fill out that connect card and let us know that you committed your life to Christ today. That will allow us to begin the process of helping with what's next. Wherever you are, however you're connecting, we want to help. That's all this is. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege. So go to the Lake Hills Church app. If you don't have it, you can put it on your phone or your iPad. Open up Connect and fill out that Connect card. Also, you'll see on the app is a place for you to pray. We have a prayer wall. If you have a prayer request or something that we can be praying about with you, let us know. You can even put anonymous. God knows who it is, and we'll, we pray for a lot of anonymous prayer requests. But if you want your name there, that's fine too. I just want you to know, on behalf of the Lake Hills Church family, we are honored to worship with you today. And we are praying with you and for you and with and for our world during this time. We love you. Have a great week and God bless you.